1994, Disney animation was in the middle of what is today called the Disney Renaissance. It was, back, it was when uh, Disney was putting out some new animated films that are today considered great classics, ones that are up with, that kind of stand up there with the, uh, the greats of like the 50s and the 60s, you know, Snow White, Cinderella, you know, the ones that some of y'all grew up with. Well, this is when Disney put out stuff like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King. You know, it's the stuff they're trying to remake now to convince themselves they've still got it. But these were really, you know, very successful films, very enjoyable films. Lion King still is the highest grossing traditionally animated film ever. It's inspired by Hamlet, the old Shakespeare play. In the movie, we see little Simba born to be king after his father Mufasa. And a very short time after he finishes the song, I just can't wait to be king, his father dies. And little Simba can't handle what has just happened. I guess he didn't mean the song after all. He runs off. He denies his identity. He creates a new life, ignoring who he was destined to be. He was supposed to be king. He was supposed to be leader of the Pride Lands. And he traded it for hanging out in the jungle with some deadbeat friends. And then he has a moment. Does he return and reclaim the mantle of kingship? Does he rediscover his true nature? Does he step up and become who he was destined to be? Or does he dodge that responsibility and ignore his true nature? Christians don't always appreciate their nature in Christ, and that leads to confusion. We claim to be children of God, but we refuse to act like it. We deny our true nature as children of God. We forget that in Christ we are no longer who we were, that we now belong to God, we are his children, we are part of his people. And the book of Ephesians points this out to us. It's written to the church in Ephesus as Paul is jailed in Rome. Ephesus is located in western Turkey, modern day nation, on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And this As he was jailed in Rome, he wrote several epistles. Epistles are just kind of a biblical way of saying letter. Uh, We call them the prison epistles. uh, You've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, the ones written as he was in jail. And as he writes this letter to this church in Ephesus, he's encouraging the people to live out their new status in Christ. And this is an issue that's never gone away. Sometimes in the New Testament, we see comments about issues that aren't really major issues for us today. And then we see things that, man, it's on the money. Because even though we have a new master in Christ, we have a new nature in him, we have a new spirit within us, we still cling to our old ways. The issue for the Ephesian Christians is the same issue we have, and it's treated the same way. He's telling us in this letter to be the people of God, because we are no longer who we were. In Christ, we are different. And our actions ought to reflect who we are now. Not who we were. 
Not the life that we have left behind, but the life that is before us. And before anything else, we need to show understanding of our new identity in Christ. How can we change to live out this new identity if we don't know what it is? That'll be a little difficult, won't it? It'd be like taking a class and having the final on the first day. Yeah, nobody wants that. We don't want the final on the last day. But, you know, especially even before we've learned it, it's impossible. But Paul points out in chapter 2 the difference between who we were and who we are now. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's reminding these people, reminding us of who we are. He first discusses who we were. We were dead in our sins. We followed after our own fleshly passions. We were destined for punishment. We did whatever came to mind that sounded good at the time. It's a description of us before Christ. Nothing holding us back. Just do what you want to do. We're sinners living for sin, giving no attention to our eternal destinies. He says that's who you were. Several times in Paul's letters, he may talk about how we used to be. And each time, he will draw a line. He will describe it. And the description is not flattering. It's, you will look at it and we'll be like, oh, that's kind of a nasty piece of work. But then Paul says, but that's how you were. When we come to Christ, we draw a large, thick, dividing line. There's a difference between our old life and our new one. And he also talks of who we are now. We are alive by alive in, in let me try this again. We are alive in Christ by grace, destined for life, beneficiaries of God's of God's riches, and He explores this throughout the letter. And honestly, when we get into a lot of these epistles, I'm I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can I get the message across? Because I can't explore everything. A lot of things have to be left on the cutting room floor, and I'm like, ah, man, that's rough, because there's good stuff in these. But he points out to us that God's riches, they're not physical wealth, they're blessings in God's grace. He has already mentioned that in chapter 1. Sometimes we'll get the idea, oh, God's blessings, cha-ching, 
not how it works. Boy, I wish those health and wealth preachers were right. It would be wonderful if being in Christ meant we would always be healthy, always be strong, always be plenty prosperous. That would be nice, wouldn't it? I look through here, I see some folks that, you know, you could do with a little more health. But unfortunately, that's not the guarantees we receive. We are promised so much more. Why would we only settle for 80 or so years of health when we have eternity? Why would we ask for a million dollars when we have everything? It's like the old joke, guys... Guy dies, goes to heaven, and he's arguing with St. Peter and finally gets St. Peter at the gates to, okay, you can bring one suitcase in. Normally, we don't let anybody do it. You can bring in one suitcase. You did so much good stuff. So he goes, fills it full of gold bars, and he gets back to the, to the pearly gates, and St. Peter, oh, okay, I got to know. What was so important to you? You just had to bring it. What is it? Guy opens it up. It's full of gold. And St. Peter looks at that and looks at him with this question on his face. This, of all the things in the world to bring, why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> that which is so important to us here will not matter there. Our blessings are so much more than we can imagine. And our status now couldn't be more different, being children of God. It's not because we got better. It's not because God said, you know, you're just such a nice person now. No, it's because he gave us his grace. Several times in his letters, and even right here, Paul mentions, you know, there's no reason to boast here. There's no reason to get all uppity, to put on airs, to stuff your shirt, because every last one of us is just a recipient of what God did for us through his son. Some people say, will we'll, we'll take this point, and they'll kind of interpret it the wrong way. Well, we're all sinners. There's no reason for any of us to call out sin because every last one of us is a sinner because Jesus says don't judge. Wrong application, friends. Pointing out that all of us are sinners. All of us have been saved by grace. So when we come alongside each other and say, you know, we need to call out sin in each other, we're not doing it from a pedestal. We're doing it from the standpoint of, hey, we are all in this together. I help you, you help me. Unfortunately, we humans, we're not very good at doing that. He says we are all recipients of the grace of God. And he says we are also now unified. God has reconciled us to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. We have also been reconciled with each other. We are not a scattered group of independents. You know, we are, the official name for our brotherhood is the Independent Christian Churches, Churches of Christ. 
At least that's the closest thing we have to an official name. Without an official headquarters, there's really no way to say we have an official name. But that's usually how we're referred to. And we take that independent bit and we hang on to it. And boy, are we independent. Sometimes to a fault. Because we Americans, independence. Independence Day, no step on snake, that type of thing. It's a wonderful thing to be independent. But it is a foolish thing to think that we are completely independent. Folks, we're linked. We can no more, none of us can any more look at the other and say, I don't need you as any of us could just go chopping off pieces. You know, what do you use your pinky for? Not much. You know, if you drink tea, you stick it out there maybe. But we don't use the pinky much. Who wants to lose the pinky? Raise your hand. No? Nobody really up for it? Yeah, I don't want to lose it either. It's small, it's insignificant. But I've had it as long as I can remember. Such is the body of Christ. And that's one of the major themes of Ephesians. That body of Christ. We are linked. We are members of the same family. As we are saved, we're not just saved as individuals. We also become part of a greater whole. We all come together. As we have been redeemed, we have been joined together. We are not alone. We just need to recognize the unity we have. Very often when Christians are at loggerheads with one another, when we're having friction because we don't get along, it's because we've lost sight of a major truth. That truth is we are all unified in Christ. We have all been saved by His grace. And when I have seen Christians really, really get angry with each other, that's a truth that they've allowed themselves to forget. You see, in Christ we are not building a unity, we just recognize the unity that exists. The hard work's been done. And we are part of something more, a family, a kingdom, a body. These are images that Paul uses time and again to describe this unity. That pinky finger, it doesn't seem that important, but it's part of you. Do you ever jam your pinky finger or hit it with something? You will feel that in your toes. Because you're unified. And this new status brings us a new way to be. Because how can we change our status without changing our actions? I'm a baseball fan. It's kind of hard to be a baseball fan in St. Louis this year. Not a good year. I I think I'm understanding how Cubs fans feel. (laughs) 
But throughout this, if you're a baseball fan, you know, the beginning of the season, you're always like, okay, who's this guy? Because there's always changes. They trade players. They sign players. Wouldn't it be a weird thing if on opening day you have a player take the field and he's still wearing the uniform of the old team? Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, they, 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 it, it would not go well. The manager probably wouldn't even let the guy out of the dugout. And what would be worse is if he still is trying to help the old team. Yes, I know I'm a member of the St. Louis Cardinals now, but I used to be a Met, and I really want the Mets to win. He might well get strung up from the arch. It'd be bizarre, it'd be weird, it'd be unthinkable. And so would it be for a Christian to not change the actions. Because so much has changed when we come to Christ, so also should our actions change. We get to chapter 4, and it's a bit of a longer passage, but there's really no place to cut this. I, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." See, there's no real good place to chop that one. Because Paul is pointing out what we are to do now. We're to act as we should. We have a new way of life. We're not just given a new status, but it has come packaged with a call to a new manner of living. And this new manner of living is all-encompassing. There's new attitudes. I could spend hours on this chapter. I love this chapter. Because it tells us what the church fundamentally is. These epistles of Paul, they are loaded with what we call ecclesiology. That is a part of theology that deals with the church. What is the church? Who is the church? What do we exist for? How do we live? 
All of that is important. Man, right now in modern American Christendom, our ecclesiology is weak. Very weak. It'd be like coffee you can see through. It's that weak. Sad. But I think this chapter puts us on the right track. Tells us of new attitudes, talks of humility and gentleness and patience, and I would love to spend a lot of time on each one of these, but I can't. We've all got things to do, but we know what these attitudes are, don't we? They're ones that we can explore for an hour, or just merely uttering their name tells us what we ought to be. The way we relate to others is one that is more likely to result in harmony than in trouble. Isn't that what happens if we're patient with each other and humble and gentle and so on? It's hard to not get along when that's how we're all acting. It's almost impossible to have a bad vibe in a a church like that. But likewise, if you flip that around and you have people who are Arrogant and selfish and short-tempered. What kind of group do you have then? Probably a small one. Very small. Eventually, it's full of one person. And there's no room for anybody else. But he also speaks of new practices. How... We need to be eager to maintain unity with others over getting our own way. And I get it. We want our way, don't we? I want this. I want that. Some people wear you know, that attitude of, I get my way. I get what I want. And they wear it like it's a badge of honor. And they can't see that it's sad. That what you have is somebody who's very selfish and refuses to get along with others. No, what we want more than our way is our family, our body. We want the family of God. So we have to force ourselves to start adopting these new practices, these new attitudes. And there's even a new recognition here. We see that we are connected to each other on a fundamental level in Christ, that none of us are better than any other. We we all have different roles to play. He talks here about God gave these people. The apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the teachers. One thing I find very interesting here, and this is something that's very, very easy for us to forget. It does not say God gave these verbs. God gave us shepherding. God gave us teaching. God gave us apostling. No, the gift is not the action. The gift is the person. Think on that one for a second. Those people you're in church with, you're sitting in the pew with, you look around, they are God's gift to you. And you are God's gift to them. Don't just sit there thinking, well, I know. No, remember, humility, folks. 
God has put us together for a purpose. So we could help each other attain that unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. We are acting as part of a greater whole so our behavior can reinforce and strengthen this community of Christ. God has given this church the members. God has given each person to every other. Those things that you do well, that's how you help. Sometimes we wonder, well, I mean, I, I, I want to be involved. I'm just not sure what to do. Well, I always say, you know, number one, what do you like to do? Number two, what are you good at? Number three, what's the opportunity? If you got those three things, you've probably got a collection that, if it's not a, very, a super obvious call from God, it's at least a strong hint. If it's something that you're not good at at all, I mean, if you can burn cold cereal, you're probably not called to cook for a potluck. If you can't carry a tune in a bucket, eight to say, you're probably not called to use your gift of singing. If you don't know what to do with kids, you may not be called to children's ministry. That's okay. Because there's other ways you can help out. But we are all called to help out. We are all called to build each other up. We're building the kingdom. Each of us with a role, not the same role as others, but one we are uniquely suited for. You know, God knows who you are. He knows your personality, your quirks, your benefits, you know, all that. God knows it. He knows what you're good at. And he's put you in a place for you. We live in a world where nobody knows where they belong. And we see that here in the body of Christ, we don't just belong, we are indispensable. Because our uniqueness, we bring in, and God uses that to help each other. Our goal, it's not selfish, it's not so that we think, oh, you know, I'm doing this, everybody knows how good I am. It's to help others become who they can be in Christ. They work so we can blossom into mature followers of Jesus, and we do the same for them. Together, we help each other. Our actions no longer for ourselves, but we work together with the goal of helping others follow Jesus. He describes it, we're mature, we're rooted in the faith. We're not like folks that are tossed to and fro. You ever been out in a boat when the waves were kicking up and you feel that thing doing this? On a ship once, that thing was corkscrewing. It was funny. You walk through the hallway, you have to do this. Why? Well, the waves are tossing you around. You're at the mercy of the sea. There's nothing you can do about it. He says, that's not how we ought to be in life. No, in Christ, we are rooted. We have a firm foundation. 
And we help others follow Jesus, and we are all rooted together. And it is borne out in all of our relationships at home, at work, and so on. You keep going through Ephesians, and you start getting the passages about submission, and folks start getting their dander up. What do you mean I'm supposed to submit to my spouse? Maybe read through that, the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning of chapter 5, and what you see is all of those passages of submission are reciprocal. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a responsibility to the other. Because we are not demanding others bow before us, we are eagerly serving each other. That's the humility at work. That is us putting ourselves to work for the benefit of those around us, whether it's at home, at work, at school, wherever. Paul is pointing out that God has done so much for us in Christ. He has also equipped us to go forward serving his kingdom. And he has a right to expect that we will. He said, you know, look, this is all because God has these good works for us to do. Folks, we got a checklist. It's not a matter of, okay, got all that stuff done. I'm, I'm finished. It's, are you using that which God has given you? To further his kingdom. Because we were not saved just so we could go back to the way we were before. We were not forgiven of our sins and left to our own devices. We are saved so we can go forth in a new life, looking forward to a new destiny. As the people of God, we are in community with other people of God. We live, we work together to help each other as we reflect this new life. Friends, that is what the church is. It's not a social club. It's not a building. The church is an active community of believers seeking to help each other imitate Christ. And each of us brings in what we can do. And we receive what everybody else can do. And together we are all built up. Know who you are. You are a redeemed child of God. You have been set free of your old ways. When you are in him, you have a new life. You are a new creation. You have been given great blessings in Christ. How can you keep on the old way knowing who you are now? You got a whole new identity. And Paul says, you live then in keeping with this new status. Use your abilities to help others as they use theirs to help you. Together, we all become more like Jesus. The church is not some place where everybody comes in and you got one loud, long-winded person up front and he's doing all the work. Not how this goes. The church is everybody comes in, everybody pitches in, and everybody together becomes more like Christ because we are part of a larger body. If we function properly, we are helping each other grow as we ourselves grow, and we will be who we truly are, God's people. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you for you have made us your people Lord, you have redeemed us. You have given us your grace. You have given us so much. And now, Lord, you ask that we use what we are and who we are for your people. 
Lord, build in us that desire. Help us to follow you to live out this new life together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.